Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this uh, landmark 50th episode of Kuden. Uh, I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller. Congratulations, sir. 50 years. Well, not 50 years. 50 50 years? (laughs) (laughs) I felt like it's been 50 years. 50 years. 50 50 years? You feel like it's been 50 years. Wow. We've been doing this weekly, not yearly. You're dragging an anchor behind you. Wow. <laughs> I feel way older right. than that, I am. That we call a Freudian slip there. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, monkey face. Anyway, <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, so it looks like we have a couple of folks over on the webcast. And, uh, yeah, 50, man. And to commemorate all that, which is, God, we did so much stuff over the last week, um, week and a half. Uh, we are now up on, at uh, last count, four podcast sites, including iTunes and Google Play, and that one that so cool. I didn't realize it was as big as that it, that it is, uh, one called Stitcher Radio, which yeah. is actually integrated in a whole bunch of, uh, like, vehicle brands that's, that's tied into their, like, some have Sirius Radio and all that. Um, Stitcher Radio is tied into a bunch of these things. Well, we got on there, and... Um, we're waiting to hear from Spotify and man, a good dozen or more, uh, not a dozen, half a dozen or more uh, other sites. You know, the more we can get on, the more people we can reach, and this is just awesome. Yeah, so and it's really uh, exciting now, and, and sort of different too. You know, the platform we've been using lately. You know, when we started, we just kind of were recording this in the studio at the radio station where I was at, and but this platform we're currently using is is kind of something unique to other podcasts I'll listen to which don't really give the ability we do this live and allow people to join in, ask questions and get a discussion going. That's something I haven't really heard a lot of other podcasts yet kind of doing. That's something more like a a live radio kind of show is able to do, but the podcasts are always kind of recorded at some other time and then put out there, but getting giving people the opportunity to join us while we do this is kind of a unique thing and it's really cool. Right. Well, that's that was one of our that one of our things, right? We didn't want this to sound like the typical uh, we're standing on a stage uh, lecturing kind of thing because uh, I have uh, seen other I don't know but there's one or two other martial arts um, uh, things out there or self defense or survival and they're either like hypey prepper you know the world's going to come to an end kind of thing um, uh, <laughs> you know the what's that uh, Mad Max Thunderdome kind of world kind of thing um, or they're just it's a dry lecture kind of thing right and yeah. We wanted this to have almost the feel of a of a morning drive time talk show kind of thing, where um, you know we could have some fun, put out some good information, make fun of people. I mean that's you know that's a big <laughs> thing, right? Um, we make fun of ourselves. I think we more make fun of anybody else, but um, true, that, that's important too. You know, so uh, absolutely, I, I think this is huge. Uh, and you know, we had that little debacle a couple of well, what 
maybe a dozen episodes ago where um, we we made that little switch, right? Where for a while we were calling it online uh, an online radio show, and um, one person at least um, almost like her head almost exploded because <laughs> you know how dare we, right? And until, you know, she had to be re-educated, that's why said they've been using mass media, including television shows and radio and all kinds of things, uh, for decades uh, to get the word out about needs to. Otherwise, it wouldn't have spread the way it did. I mean, it would still be fucking yeah. secret, right? So uh-huh. um, anyway, so uh, like I said, I don't care if somebody calls it a podcast. I don't care if they call it a radio show. Um, we're doing it like a radio show, so um, mm-hmm. why not? But, you know, if, if something makes your butt itch the wrong way or whatever, then don't use that term. Use the one that makes you all feel warm and fuzzy, right? Run to your yeah. safe space, turn your computer, you know, to the, the brightness down, and, you know, so that's not too harsh. And, yes, I'm really picking on people. So, um, anyway, so Nijitsu is not the place for safe spaces. <laughs> it's just not. No. I mean, if, if, if you're if – you're, you know, if you're thin-skinned and you're not prepared for things like that, then um, then may I suggest that this is a hobby or a uh, an interesting pastime. But you know, there's the, the end result is not what uh, what you know we're attracted to, right? We're attracted mm-hmm. to these people that uh, you know you don't stop fighting or you don't stop trying until your eyes close for the last time, and sometimes based on the death that I've seen in my life, um, the eyes don't close. So, you know, who knows what they see after that. Mm. So anyway, yeah, I just, I just well, heard that morbid, didn't I? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Like a little anyway. dark humor thrown in there. Um, of you course. Know, what's really neat about this, uh, this episode too, and how things have been kind of coming together as we've approached 50 here, as you mentioned, getting, getting all linked up with iTunes, Google play and all these podcasts. So it's just like, it's getting ready to jump off on that growth point for more people being able to reach the program. But also, uh, you know, you do know that also means that there'll be more people telling us that we're full of shit too, right? Oh, that's a, that is what I'm looking forward to the most, actually. And that's all a huge the trolls that right will come there. out. I can't wait for all the trolling to start happening. If people don't like <laughs> you, you're not doing something right. So that's uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, no, so I'm almost anyway. salivating at that thought. Um, but so <laughs> you know, it, we've we were kind of talking before we started here about uh, fives. How like five kind of jumped out here because we're going to be talking in this episode about. Uh, the Gogyo, Gotanpo, uh, Godai, all these fives are like jumping out at me. It's the 50th episode. Like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was yeah, well, you numerology that wise. Before we even got on the call, you started that with the, with the five. So I yeah. threw something back at you because if you add 10, um, you're really doing a return to zero, right? So um, that just adds the universality back to things, the timelessness. Um, and the fact that you want to be able to apply these lessons in life, like real life today, as opposed to just curating or being a museum curator for the, all this 13th, 15th, 16th century uh, kind of stuff, right? Um, you want to be able to apply it today. Otherwise, just dress up like a ninja or a samurai and go to your local Renaissance fair and do it that way, right? It would be a whole lot less painful. So. Um, That's right. I just think it's important that this stuff is usable today. Otherwise, it's, like I said, it's just uh, another one of those interesting hobbies that really doesn't serve a purpose today other than recreation and, you know, serving an interest and things like that. So, 
Yeah. And then oh, I really lost it when I saw Chris's question that he posted, I guess for you for another time, but he's got a question about the Book of Five Rings. So it's like, all these yeah, five I'm going to headbutt him to face, I think. I just, <laughs> this is one of my in-house guys, so when he comes back to class, I'm just he has at least one question for me every friggin' day, even before class starts. He walks in, he gets changed and everything, he sits down, we've got this extra little desk at the, in the dojo um, in case uh, parents come to, come to class and their kids still have some homework or whatever. They can sit down at the desk, they can do their homework uh, cool. or, you know, whatever. Sometimes the kids will do a class and their parents are in class and they do it, you know, right afterwards or whatever. Fantastic. So there's an extra hour there, right? So, yeah, so we have that kind of thing set up. And um, uh, he'll be there and he has this big old binder that he opens up and, I could just feel the vibes creep across the room, you know? Mm. And then, sir, I have a question. Really? <laughs> Seriously? Today, I'm so surprised. <laughs> but that's good. I mean, you know, enlightenment comes from questions, right? Yeah. Uh, it comes from questions and the quality of questions. Uh, most people think that enlightenment is, you know, the, that state where you have all the answers. Um, yeah, no. Uh No. So that having all the answers or feeling like or needing like you need to have all the answers, that's ego, and that's the antithesis. Uh, antithesis mm. It's the opposite of <laughs> just, just my own teeth and tongue. Uh, it's the opposite of, of enlightenment, right? I mean, it's just uh, enlightenment also includes knowing what you don't know, right? Uh -huh. So, yeah. So anyway, no, I, I appreciate cool. the questions that he has. So, yeah, so he throws a thing in here with five. Nice. Yeah. Well, and the whole five thing got rolling really uh, thanks to kind of a topic idea from our special guest that's going to be joining us here. Um, and I don't know if you want to say anything before I introduce our, our guest, sir, but... Um, well, I'll, I'll just say this is a general thing because we chuckled about it when he first signed in. Uh, it's that be careful what kind of questions you send me because if you have any kind of rank behind you and you already have a basis in that information... You could find yourself in the hot seat. I mean, the guest host seat, or the, the co-host seat, uh, and so that's what we did. So, uh, cool. uh, so let's see if his. Well, I, I don't need to see if his palms are sweaty. He's in. Where is he in Decatur, Illinois, or something like that? So, <laughs> yeah. um, how about if you do the introduction and uh, yeah, then I can grill him. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so joining us, joining us on our special 50th episode of Kuden is uh, Shidoshi Paul Walker. He is a sixth-degree Bujinkan black belt based out of Zion, Illinois. He's been teaching students at his Arthur Bujinkan Dojo for the past eight years. His dojo is located in Arthur, Illinois, and his current student base includes both children and adults alike. Now, uh, Shidoshi Walker started his personal martial arts study as a small child. He was involved in karate around the age of eight, but always held a passion for learning ninjutsu through his childhood in teenage years and around 1996 when he formally started with the Bujinkan system under the instruction of Richard Von Donk and he's now licensed as a Shidoshi himself and he continues to train every Tuesday night with his personal instructor Rick Spangler who is a 15th degree black belt based out of Decatur, Illinois. So uh, if you find yourself in Illinois, these are the people to be with. Shidoshi Walker also has a military background uh, with the Illinois Army National Guard. He spent uh, a eight-year career trained as a 12 Bravo combat engineer and demolitions expert and was honorably discharged from the military exactly a year before the September 11th terrorist attacks. Shidoshi Walker, welcome to Kuden. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for having me here. 
So this whole uh, this whole fives thing <laughs> he made me do it. This whole fives thing really got uh, started with you. It's your fault. So why why don't you kind of take no. us through what you posted uh, or shared there with um, Sheehan Miller about uh, this this concept of the different aspects that are not so often discussed when it comes to the Gogyo. Sure, that'd be fine. Uh, by the way, thank you for putting me in the hot seat here. <laughs> anyway. That's <laughs> what I do. Uh, the, the topic that I pose to Shidoshi Miller uh, concerns the Tonko no Jitsu that comes from our Togoku Riru. And Tonko no Jitsu is kind of like the umbrella uh, term that's given to all of our escape uh, infiltration, evasion, all of these different tactics and strategies that we have within uh, within this ninjutsu system. Um, Tanko ninjutsu goes by different names depending on where you've learned the material or where you've uh, uh, been instructed, you know, by who's taught it to you. Uh, sometimes it goes by the term Gotan Santo no Ho, Odinshin Tongo no Jitsu, Ongyo Jitsu, or Tenchijin Santo no Ho. Uh, there's other names as well, but these are some of the more common ones. Um, to start with, anybody who has been in the Bujinkan or Ninjutsu system for any period of time, they've probably been exposed to what's called the Gotan Po, which are the five natural elements that are used for evasion, escape, infiltration, so on and so forth. And those are uh, typically put into categories of water, fire, wood, metal, and earth. And I think everybody probably has some, some idea of how those things are used. But with Tonko no Jitsu, um, it actually has 30 different methods to it. Um, it does contain the Gotan Po, but it also contains a lot of other items. And some of these are very obscure. Um, things such as sun, moon, stars, clouds, fog, thunder, lightning, wind, rain, snow, um, and the list goes on and on. Um, the... the Tonko no Jitsu is divided into three subcategories where you have, uh, basically it's the Tenchi Jin method. You have items that relate to Ten, which is heaven forms. You have items which relate to Chi, which are earth forms. And you have items that relate to Jin, which are man forms. And each of these three categories has all of these different things that, that fall under them. And my question that I posed to Shidoshi Miller was, how do we incorporate some of these lesser-known items, things like uh, wind or insects and bugs, uh, wild animals, um, metal? How do we incorporate some of those things into our modern training, and uh, how can we make them applicable to today's modern society? I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Great. Great. Now what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, Paul and I talked about this uh, a little bit last night, just to kind of set up, uh, you know, how the how the show would run today and uh, whatever. And, and the you know the big thing that we both agreed on was just like with most of the topics that uh, I go into here, uh, I'm lucky if I can just like scratch the surface. Every once in a while, mm -hmm. I can put some meat behind something to give you a good kick in the butt to get you started. But uh, you know. Like you said, there's there's three levels to this training. There's 30 different aspects. I mean, some of the aspects on the mankind side of things is how you're dealing with different uh, types of people, right? Um, and and again, you know, uh, this was stuff that was noticed way back in the day. 
some of this stuff that's now being argued over, you know, everybody's the same and, you know, whatever. Um, no, we're not androgynous, right? So, but dealing with males, right? I mean, you want to you want to recognize how they interact with each other and how men typically bond and communicate and those kind of things, right? Um, you know, looking at things like pride and envy and arrogance and, and how that's different for them than it is for women, right? And what are the what are the key uh, indicators for how women uh, associate and or look at things and or measure things, right? Uh, women tend to lead uh, emotionally, and I don't mean over-emotionally, I mean they're concerned about connections and that everybody's getting along and stuff like that. Men just assume that's going on, and our indicator for getting along is we pick on each other, right? Um, so much so that if you have ever had your kids in sports, right, moms are often turned off by the kind of camaraderie that goes on in a sports team because it just seems so brutal or, you know, there's all this name calling and there's all that, whatever. And, you know, then their sons or husbands look at them and go, what are you talking about? No, we're the best of friends, right? Well, how do you, how does that work, right? So uh, same thing, but how do you deal with um, uh, or communicate with uh, old folks? How do you communicate with children? Uh, you know, those kind of things, right? So uh, this really starts to break things down. What does it start to break things down? It really breaks things down. And I think the biggest thing that it does is that it causes you uh, to, to recognize the greater need for awareness and not just paying attention to what's going on around you, but paying attention to how things go on around you and how it's not all just this one unifying thing that, uh, I mean, it is all, it's all life, right? But how do men relate to other men, right? How do women relate to other women? How do women relate to men, men relate to women, that kind of thing, right? Um, how do those things work? And, and when is it, how is it, how does it work when things are going well? How does the interaction work when it's not going well? And everybody in the room knows that it's not going well, right? That kind of thing. And remember, that when we talk about escape, evasion, uh, infiltration and all that kind of stuff, right? We're not just talking about infiltrating a castle. We could be talking about infiltrating a group, right? Um, and so let's, let's change the word from infiltration to being accepted by, okay? Mm -hmm. So how do I, as a new guy in town or the new guy on the job, or Maybe I, uh, well, I'm going to borrow something here from uh, one of my students, Josh Bloom, who's uh, in the psychology realm, right? How do I maybe take over some other practitioner's group, and while I'm supposed to be the guy or girl leading and helping these people and all that, they've been used to somebody else for a while, right? I'm the outsider. How do I come in and very quickly establish a bonding thing? Now, that being said, right, there's a lot of other things that are on this list that they don't look like they're going to cross over very, very easily. Like if you look in um, in the section on, um, uh, what is it, I can't remember the Japanese name for bug, but either way, it's, it's the use of insects and stuff, right? Um, part of that, if you look in the writings uh, as, as to how that works, right, uh, part of that is, is talking about domesticated crickets. Right? What the hell's up with that? Right? And why would you domesticate crickets? Well, if you recognize that 
um, often these things were used, like, boys will play with things, right? I mean, boys will play with cicadas in Japan, and these things can be freaking huge, right? Like the size of your palm. Um, and they play with them, of course, the girls shriek and go running. But either way, right? Um, think about, you have, to, you have to step away from it a little bit and take a look at a broader, um, you know, the, the, not just the topic, but the cultural uh, part of it, right? So if we look at things like that, um, what, what we really have to do is put it in context with not just the, the era and the fact that this is ancient, you know, it was a ninja trick and all that, uh, but the fact that it was a completely different culture, right? And so this predates electronic alarms, detection systems, and those kind of things, right? So one of the reasons for keeping around domesticated uh, insects like, um, like crickets was because they're just freaking noisy. And as long as everything is going on around them in a way that they're used to, they chirp away. But as soon as something changes that causes them to feel threatened, what happens? They stop. Cicadas do the same thing, okay? So it's the opposite of what we would normally think of as maybe like having a dog or a cat around where if there's something strange going on, the dog starts barking, right? So that's your alarm. And so the alarm systems that we have in the West, unless we're talking about specifically designed silent alarms, right, they all make noise. As soon as something triggers it, it raises the alarm. When we think about that, we talk about raising the alarm. But in this context of, uh, of the animals, right, often the animals will either move, scurry, right, uh, they'll, in the case of a cat, will perk up and its ears point in the direction of whatever the sound it was, right? Uh, cicadas and, and crickets will stop chirping. They go silent, right, because they don't want to attract the predator to their location. But either way, that's still sounding an alarm. You just have to understand what the baseline is, and we talk about this all the time, right? What's the baseline, and then what signals danger from that baseline, okay? So you go out into the woods, okay, uh, or you're out in your backyard, depending on where you live, right, at uh, certain times of year, you can hear these, these sounds, right? And then, you know, if, if you're tuned in or if you're used to living in areas like that, when that sound stops, that makes your ears perk up because now it's suddenly quiet, right? So that's one way to look at these things uh, and to recognize that you have to update the technology. What we're not doing is we're not updating, we're not updating the skill. Well, yeah, we're updating the skill. We're not trying to take the bug thing necessarily and convert it exactly as such, but we have to get behind it and understand what the purpose of it was, right? And sometimes it was the bug thing, right? Sometimes just recognizing that it's just universal, that no matter what, creepy crawly things with more than two legs make most human beings wig out, right? So why not toss a bug at somebody, right? Um, it, it would cause more than a distraction, right? Uh, there are techniques and tactics. I have a couple of pictures of Hatsumisate with a uh, Kyokutsu Shoge and uh, a snake tied to the, the middle of a cord, right? And so you're not trying to hit the guy with the rope or with the weight anymore. You're trying to send the weight past him so that, you know, he does a slight dodge kind of thing. And next thing you know, he's got this 
not only poisonous snake, but a really soft poisonous snake on his body that he's dealing with, and now you can move in with this dagger and, you know, finish the job kind of thing, right? So uh, I, I think, you know, when, when you look at these categories, you can break things down, just like I do with, um, with survival skills. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm looking at, let's say, plant identification, okay, um, I break that into uh, three areas, right? Plant identification for me is broken down into food sources, medicines, which can also be poisons because all medicines are poisons, right, and utility purposes, okay? So uh, let's look at just the everyday grass, right? Grass typically doesn't have a medicinal purpose, but there are certain things that grow in our grass and in our lawns and our yards, uh, depending on where you live in the world, that we might throw into the same category that do, but that's kind of breaking things out. So any plant that you identify, right, how does it fit these things? So with grass, grass is edible, but it has no uh, nutritional value for us at all, okay? All it does is provide bulk, okay? So it's not going to kill you if you eat it, but it's not going to do anything for you either, okay? They all clean you out, I guess. Um, no medicinal purposes, but for utility purposes, right, um, a base thing that all my students have to learn is how to make rope out of grass. Eric, you remember doing that, right? So uh, I do. Just Yeah, so, uh, you know, how do you do that, right? You look at uh, plantain, and I don't mean the banana-type plantain, but there's actually 50 couple of varieties of plantain, um, two of which grow in – well, all the yards around where I live, and depending on where you live, where you live in the country, or in different countries, uh, there are these uh, this type of plantain that actually grows in your yard, and kids play with it sometimes. You know, like it's I don't know a substitution for lettuce or you know, whatever, right? Um, again, it's edible, um, but um, uh, depending on the part of it, right? Because uh, there it'll grow like seed heads and things like that. Uh, that can be used as a replacement for barley uh, in stews and, and things like that. But um, uh, if you crush it up, uh, if you crush it, either one of these, there's a great plantain, which are these big, broad, cabbage-looking leaves, right? And then there's the same thing, but it's called spear tip plantain. They're just very narrow blades, right? But if you crush this up so that the, the uh, leaf in your hand gets all wet, you can put that on a, on a wound, and the, uh, the sap in it is a styptic. Right, it'll stop bleeding. Right, hmm. um, yeah. So just things, right? So, but you look at these things. If you could look up, look at it from the context of, let's say, uh, break it down into escape, and evasion, infiltration, or distraction or alarm, something like that, right? Uh, or just again applying the Gilko U three and one, one and three principle to it, and try to find. Uh, you know, among all these things, what's the unifying principle, okay? And looking at all these things, right, um, what three categories could these things within this be divided into? Or, you know, sometimes they'll cross over between more than one, but at the same time, kind of look at it. But it really requires that you look at the, at the subject much more deeply rather than just cataloging skills and techniques and, you know, having – having a glossary of terms, so to speak, or having these things, and then they stay in the realm of theory, right? Um, one of the categories within this, uh, you know, let me, let me stop before I keep running all of this because I brought him on as a guest. 
uh, <laughs> Paul. Is, sorry. Um, That's all right. Yeah. yeah well, anyway. Um, so what? Um, uh, I'm, I'm, is this making sense so far? Absolutely. Um, and that's okay. what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm just looking for different insights and possibilities as to how some of these items, um, you know, can be brought forward and, and utilized in a modern sense because we can read the traditional ways that they were used. You know, like you were talking about the insects, uh, you know, I'm crawling under a house as a ninja and all of a sudden the crickets around me stop chirping. Well, I have a box of domesticated crickets with me, so I release those and they're used to chirping around humans so they continue to chirp and it still ties and conceals my position, you know. But then how do I take that information, that strategy, that concept, and how do I bring that forward to make it applicable to, today, you know, to today? Um, you know, we don't sneak around so, under so people's houses, hopefully, but, you know. Well, it's, no, it's but you might have to sneak under your house to get away from somebody. Um, if you can't <laughs> yeah, run away yeah, from your – I mean, if somebody's broken into your house and you can't run because everything around your house is cleared – and you're, it's going to be mm-hmm. obvious and you're going to draw gunfire, then mm-hmm. under your house might be the safest place to be. So right, right. Don't, don't discount some of these things just because crawling under a house sounds like something only a thief would do. Right, right. right. Just like doing but, but, So, So you right, could also, under- because, and, and when I went with the culture thing and the ancient thing, you know, we were talking about insects, but we can just as easily cross that over to our modern times because some people, they don't just have dogs and cats, right? They have mm-hmm. mice or ferrets. They have uh, chickens. Some people have chickens, uh, you know, whatever, right? I mean, what, what do you have that will cross over, right? Uh, I remember growing up, my parents got uh, my, my brother and sisters and I uh, gerbils, right, which are usually quiet, but they can really get noisy, um, you know, whatever, right? But typically, and we don't always have to think about the sound that the animal itself makes, but, see, my gerbil had a wheel in its cage, and even at night, right, that thing would be on it, right, and going nuts, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it would always make my ears perk up if he suddenly stopped. And I don't mean, like, stopped and jumped off, because then I could hear him scurrying through the through the, the shavings or whatever he had in the, in the, in the box, right? But right, right. what if he suddenly stops and you hear that, hear that wheel going back and forth and it's obvious that he hasn't stepped off, he heard something, okay? And so that would always make my ears perk up, right? Uh, we had parakeets, okay? And parakeets are just like those crickets, right? They will chirp, you know, when they feel just fine or whatever, but anybody walks in the room, you know, when you want the damn thing to chirp, um, it's not, it, it won't, right? Uh, without a lot of training, but either way, as soon as it's startled, it'll stop. So, uh, absolutely. So, how do you how do you work with that? And I think that a lot of this comes down to uh, the, the awareness side. Just you know, looking at it and then applying. Because, and I've said this before, one of the things that we have to be aware of and keenly aware of is that the past masters didn't just pass down techniques and skill sets. The past masters passed down, well, that's two different types of path, isn't it? Passed down (laughs) how to think, how to think, not just like a warrior and a fighter, but how to think about a survivor, how to think about accomplishing the mission outside of just going in, getting the information, and getting out, right? What are the things that can get in the way, right? I mean, just, just really paying attention to what's going on 
around you. And that's really what starts to create the magic because, you know, when, when I'm teaching Taijutsu, one of the things that I teach my students, we'll work on pressure points or I'll, I'll tag something or whatever, and they'll, they'll be looking at their hand or whatever the spot that was that I tagged, and they'll be looking at it, but you can see in their eyes that, one, you know, they knew they had that body part, but they don't think about it 99.9% .9 of the time. For all, so for all intents and purposes, they forgot they had it. But they didn't know that that part would hurt so easily and to that, that degree or with that kind of pain, right? Mm -hmm. So what I, what I, uh, what I, and I'm sure you do it with your students too, right? So what I remind people is that um, we're attacking things that people, one, don't even know they have. And even if they know they have it, they don't know that it can be damaged like that or that it can hurt like that or be attacked like that, right? So if that's true about our Taijutsu, and that is magical to people, Right? Because most fighters, most attackers that ever attack you would never, ever worry about somebody striking them on the inside of the forearm between their wrist and their elbow joint. They would never consider that because nobody does that. Right? We go and do it. It shuts their arm down from their shoulder socket down. That's magic. Right? So it's the same thing with this, this amount of knowledge. And this falls into the, the eighth gate of the ninja in the ninja's eighth gate, the ninja no kyomo, right? It's just knowledge, knowledge in a whole bunch of different areas, whether it's psychology or anthropology or, in this case, entomology, right, insects and uh, whatever. Just paying attention and studying these things so that when you apply this, people look at you because you've attained success or they never heard you coming or whatever, like – you're a wizard, and therein lies part of why, you know, the ninja had the, uh, some of the nicknames that they had, right, because it just, you know, it was not the way most people think, okay? Most, most, the way most people think that way. So just, just to, to, to finish this up with a couple of the other topics, and again, you know, uh, Paul kind of outlined some of these things, and for those who are interested, um, I don't know, maybe Paul and I could get together at some point and do like an online program where we could go over these areas just in a, in a general way, but as a way to kind of um, make sure that people have it. Because, again, the, the more and more every year goes on, I, what I've seen is the less and less people pay attention to anything other than the unarmed martial art with some weapons thrown in, right? Um, so this thing called ninjutsu that they say they're doing, it's not, right? They're, they're barely doing ninpo taijutsu, which applies this type of thinking to the Budo skills, uh, but they're, they're, only, they're only training with one aspect of this greater thing. Um, so uh, anyway, I, I, I like keeping this kind of stuff alive because people can apply it, you know, in lots of different areas. And so uh, just, just to toss another one out there, there's, there's a couple of categories um, that have to do with um, – uh, I'm, I'm going to stay away from light and weather and clouds and all that kind of stuff right now because I tend to teach that during um, uh, wilderness survival uh, seminars and my ninja camps when we're working on stealth and things like that. So um, uh, some of these things are going to show up during this spring camp, actually, uh, where we look at uh, stealth and, and using everything from light and shadow and clouds and rain and all that uh, as cover for sounds and um, being careful that you don't disrupt that baseline. But um, there's a couple of categories. Uh, 
one has to do with stealth and one has to do with camouflage. And while they're related, they're two completely different things, right? And so a lot of the things that are written in the historical scrolls about these have to do with, um, well, well, Paul, you've had it in one of your notes, uh, you know, uh, tying your uh, your uh, sword um, or or just a side, it could be either one, across your shoulders, right? So it's tied to your to your torso. And I don't mean diagonally like you see in the movies. I mean it's tied across there, right? So if the sword right. is in there, you've got to remember that the shinobi katana has a shorter blade, so it's easy to draw. But you literally strap this thing to your body, and then you hang foliage off of it, right? It's the use of brush and stuff. So that's the mokuton jutsu, the, the use of, of brush and vegetation and stuff. So that was just the ancient way of making a freaking ghillie suit, right? Or Absolutely. something that was in that direction, right? So, uh, so there's that, right? But, uh, you know, do you have to do that these days? Well, we're not walking around with swords, right? Mm-hmm. So what else could you do, right? Um, if, if you have to let, I'm going to borrow Chris here for a moment. Chris is almost never seen without a cane, right? Chris could do the same thing, but he would be using his cane instead of using a sword, right? Uh, I live in Pennsylvania. I don't know what it's like in Illinois, but in Pennsylvania, camouflage is a wardrobe choice for a lot of people, right? So, <laughs> you know, we're back, in, we're back in, yeah, so but back in the day, where they com- kind of combine different colors, use of dude colors and all that, they would have to, they would have to use fo- foliage more to create a camouflage pattern than we would just putting on a shirt or a pair of pants, right? So because we have ready, ready access to it, okay? The trick with camouflage these days and stealth these days is to make sure that you understand how the pattern is supposed to work, what environment it's best uh, used in, right, and how to augment the pattern with brush or, you know, those kind of things, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to do a crossover here just, just as a, I just had this little thought in here. Um, uh, you know, people often forget their eyes when they're, uh, when they're doing stealth or they're doing uh, camouflage work or whatever. Uh, not that they don't understand about night vision, but they forget that their eyes operate the same way that any other animal's eyes work. And what that means is that when it's really, really dark, your pupils dilate really, really wide. And what that means is if light hits your eyes at just the right angle, your eyes light up white or red, just like, just like a cat's or an owl's or whatever. Okay? So we have to be careful that we're not looking directly at someone with a light source or looking directly in the direction of a light source because that'll happen. And if we do it, we should be really good at in that moment making a cat sound or some other sound that will cause that person to take that for, well, frickin' animals, that kind of thing, right? Instead of getting caught, somebody yelling, and then you running away because you panicked or saying, shit, because no cat in the history of (laughs) cats has ever said, ah, shit, right, Uh, or whatever, right, or suddenly turned into a human being regardless of what the movies show. So... Uh, these are all really important things, and, and part of it is in looking at those things. And then, again, if you understand what the premise, what the principle and concept that's being conveyed or uh, materialized, or, or you know what I mean, it's, it's being actualized, right, what that's all about, then it becomes easier to translate that into the 21st century and 
put up with the naysayers and the people that will that inevitably inevitably give you crap because you're quote unquote not doing it right. That's not the way the old ninja. That's not the way the ninja you know did it. That's not what's in the scrolls. Well, no shit, buckwheat. That's not what's in the scrolls. Okay. Neither are there. Neither were the scrolls duplicated by way of Xerox copier because they didn't exist back then either. So you know, one a student hand copied their teacher's scroll if they, you know, did it. Or in the case of Takamatsu Hatsumi connection, Takamatsu hand copied things and then handed them back over to, to Hatsumi Sensei so his student didn't have to do that. Um, but either way, I mean, is this is this okay? Is this a fairly decent start for you? Did I tell yeah, you anything that you didn't already know? Well, you gave me some different insights and some ideas as to how to think about these different topics and areas. Um, you know, to, I don't know how I want to put it, um, but just to explore it, you know, in more depth and detail and not just look at the traditional forms, but uh, think outside the box, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, when you first sent me that question, you know, you started with the idea of the Goton Po, which my students mm -hmm. end up learning anyway. But you're right. The focus, and that's that's really the the uh, the omote side, right? The overt side. Exactly. Right? exactly. That's the obvious so, side. Yeah, omote is the obvious side. Uda mm -hmm. is hidden. Okay. Yep. So with Goton Po, we're looking at the the use of these different elements for escape and evasion. But you even brought it up earlier. There's a whole other level of using this for infiltration. Right. There's mm -hmm. a whole other level of this for gathering information. You're already in, but how do you do this, right? So how now you're not infiltrating a, a building. How do you infiltrate someone's safe space, someone's uh, uh, personality, someone's uh, natural defense mechanisms, those kind of things, right? Well, in today's world, we have things like neurolinguistic programming and some of these other sciences that you, you can buy books and you can go online and, and you know, sign up for a course and learn more about this stuff than our past ancestors ever knew about it or that they could actually kind of describe because they didn't have the science to back it up. They intuitively understood it, but they didn't have all this other, you know, they didn't have a couple of more centuries of scientific research to give us the kind of things that we have today. So, um, yeah, I think this is, this is really important stuff. And, and being able to update it and use it and understand how these things can give you uh, an edge too, because all this stuff can be pointed back to your to your uh, uh, self defense things, right? I think in in the dojo, uh, we get far too often we get caught up in just doing the mechanical, and we talk about strategy and and you know tricking somebody with timing or angling or whatever. But how many people work spoken dialogue into their training to incite somebody to attack before they were actually ready? So now rage or something like that, blinds them and diminishes their physical ability, right, or causes them to jump when they probably wouldn't have if they were more logical about it, right? Um, how can I push those buttons? Uh, just borrowing the thing where you're dealing with men, right? How do I push the arrogance buttons? How do I push the envy buttons? How do I push the pride buttons? How do I push those things? Or conversely, how do I present arrogance, pride, envy, and those kind of things that will cause that person to be triggered? Right, so um, you know we can look at these things from a couple of different couple of different directions. Okay. No, that's great. 
That's great. Okay. Well, don't go anywhere because I'm going to keep I'm going to keep throwing you to the fire because other people threw in <laughs> questions and stuff as well. So, uh, okay. where are we on time? Okay, but still still good. My, for whatever Pretty reason, good. my laptop stopped showing me the time, and I don't I don't know what happened. Either way, so I'll just keep looking at my watch here. Uh, all right, Eric, where are we going next? What are we doing? Well, I, I kind of thought Josh you with. Yeah, well, and with this this theme talking about Gotan Po, um, you know, got me thinking about you your lessons on um, how there's this use of it for uh, destructive versus like the Gogyo, and how there's a transformative oh, flow to it, sure. and then how Go Dai, which people hear that a lot in training. Um, you know, uh, or, yeah, or not go die. in Japan a lot. They, <laughs> I, I noticed, like in in my last go around training in Japan too, that um, the Shihan or or Soke will talk about it. He won't say go die. He will just say uh, Chisui Kafuku. He'll he'll say all of them and talking okay. about the the elements. So I just wondered if you could talk about quickly, because I know we don't have a lot of time because this is a real deep thing. But just kind of the differences from from that transformative to the the destructive, and then what the Godai itself uh, kind of lends itself to. Wow. Yeah, okay, this is going to have to be really quick. Um, actually, I wrote a series of three articles. This is a bunch of years ago, and I would probably go back and update it a little bit if I could find them, but they're circulating on the Internet somewhere. And those those three, and I, I think I explained them in there, that uh, people were confused about that even back when this was being taught a lot um, because they were confused. And inevitably, you know, the question comes up on a forum, or now we have Facebook, uh, you know, threads and things like that. Then they were these forums and uh, whatever else they were called, right? And uh, inevitably, what ends up happening is within a couple of two, three people, it falls into a freaking argument. They don't do it that way in Japan. Yes, they do. No, they don't. You know, mm. this is beneficial. No, it's not. Whatever, right? Same thing with the Godai. There's still people arguing about those things that, that uh, Hatsumi Sensei doesn't teach that way. Um, Historically, right, way back in the day, using at least the first five elements, Chisui Kafuku, was a counting system like saying one, two, three, four, five. And that's not not true. However, what Hasumi Sensei is reciting what you just did, what you just said and how he said it, and he's alluding to the elements, he's not counting something. Right? He's talking about very specific hmm. things. Okay? So you know, it is what it is, right? Um, but and again, this goes back to this this deeper level thing where uh, these two patterns actually go together, right? The godai, which is normally uh, uh, symbolized by the stupa that I've shown you guys in Japan, right? The, the square mm -hmm. block bottom and then a ball on top and that kind of thing, right? Uh, so that represents uh, energy as it manifests in the world, right? So there's solids and all that, that comes with that, right? Resolve, strength, you know, stubbornness is a negative quality that fits in there, all that, right? Then there's water, which also represents flexibility, fluidity, uh, timing, flow, whatever, right? Uh, fire are things that are interacting with each other, combusting, uh, just they're, they're producing energy in and of their own just because they're, they're combining, right? So radioactive materials, uh, Right, the, it's the radiation that fits into the into the fire element. The solid matter itself is an earth thing, but it's that radiation, right? Wind things in a gaseous state, so you can catalog things, right? Sometimes things are broken up in the world that way, like rocks and rivers and you know, lightning and stuff like that. 
but even com complex things like us, right? We have an earth nature. We have bones and muscle. We have a water nature. We have blood and other bodily fluids. We have a fire nature. We have a metabolism, right? Those kind of things. So this is a way to catalog things, anything, right? So we can catalog techniques. We can catalog strategies. We can catalog uh, strategies and tactics. We can catalog, you know, whatever. So um, that's easier for people to get their head wrapped around because it's this thing. And I find it uh, very, very helpful in, in the lessons. And they don't do it this way in Japan. He's right, right? These people are right. Uh, but it's very helpful to be able to pull something out or to, to, to put some things in a box and say, look, this is, we're going to focus on this for a while, okay? Because this emotional state and, and this way of thinking and looking at our personality and our makeup and how things, uh, you know, kind of show up and interact and contribute and all that, are not things that people tend to look at in the Western world because everything we're given in school is very left brain, kind of static and, and analytical, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this is a way to kind of look at those things, right? So that's the way, uh, you know, again, looking at the body, right? So here's this thing, right? And this comes from our Mikyo uh, training. This, this definitely comes from our Mikyo training. So these five elements, uh, the sixth element, uh, so there's the godai. Everybody knows the godai, right? But from Mikyo, it's actually the gokudai, right? The six elements, right? But the sixth element is mind, chitta, okay? So uh, that, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll come back to this just to wrap things up, but uh, that's where the gogyo and the godai actually connect, okay? So let's go back over to the gogyo, and for anybody that's ever seen one of those Chinese medicine symbols that looks like a pentagram with a circle around it, right, or you've seen a pagan symbol that's a pentagram with a circle around it, right, uh, if you look at the pentagram, the lines overlap, right, only the cheap ones doesn't look like it was stamped out, right, the really good ones, these, the, the lines as they're coming from one point to the next point actually cross over or, to, or go under other ones to show uh, movement. Okay, so uh, if we're looking at the pentagram, drawing from one uh, element to another, and that they are in a specific order uh, because of, of uh, the progressive state, life, okay, like a plant growing and then dying and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, so uh, one running to another is showing the destructive state, okay, and it's showing that any one element is the key and it's the answer for for defending against or shutting down this other one, okay? It stops the progressive movement. And again, this would take a lot to go into, but this is the black belt training in my dojo because this is a part of strategic thinking, okay? So there's the destructive thing, just like, you know, metal cuts down wood, okay? Wood uh, breaks up earth, just like trees and plants that are growing. Uh, literally, I mean, this is a spongy thing, right? You crush it right? But as it grows, it just moves the dirt out of its way. It'll move rocks, right? Um, earth dams up water. Water puts out fire. Fire melts metal. That kind of thing. Like, so that's, a, that's a very baby uh, way of looking at it, but it's a, it's a start, okay? So this is this destructive thing. And so this was used for planning and tactical and strategic uh, movement to know where your enemy is in the current state, and if left unchecked, they will naturally progress to this next stage. 
So to prevent them from progressing to that next stage, we use a very specific type of tactic or strategy or techniques to intercept them so that they don't make it there, okay? If we do anything mm-hmm. else, they're going to naturally progress to that next stage, okay? So we can actually, if we use the wrong tactic, we can actually feed their ability to grow, okay? So then the opposite of that would be the, progr- the progressive state, right? Um, uh, water to fire, fire, I'm um, sorry, water to wood, wood to fire, fire to earth, earth to metal, metal to, to water. Uh, the best way to see this is like the seasons, okay? Uh, metal is like the dead of winter. Everything's cold and frozen, well, at least where I live anyway. Uh, for my friends in Australia, stuff's melting on the back porch because it's just the opposite, right? But it, where I'm from, right, everything's frozen, right? But then as, as the spring thaw happens, right, not full-on spring, but the spring thaw happens, everything starts to melt and you end up with wet, soggy ground and all this cooling, right? Uh, we have rain and, and, all, and things like that, right? And then that produces new growth, okay, new upward growth, which is the new shoots and, and plants and everything start growing and all that. Well, that's the wood stage, okay? And then as these things mature and mature and all, and then they go into bloom, right? And that's what attracts insects for pollination and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's the fire stage. And then as it continues to progress, old age begins to set in, or as the fall starts to come around, right, that will start to dry out, right, and wilt and things like that, okay? So that's the earth stage. And then as those things continue to dry out and collapse and whatever, um, they end up um, becoming minerals, right, and going back into the earth. Um, So become part of the dirt and all that. But this is actually still just part of the metal stage. Uh, But as they're doing that, they're going back in and their nutrients are breaking down, the minerals are breaking down, they're going back into the the natural pool for nurturing and fertilizing and and whatever that new growth that's going to happen. So as that natural pooling is occurring, minerals and nitrogen and all that going back into the ground, just like the rain and everything, you get this pooling effect this gathering effect, which is water. Again, that's a different way of looking at it than if we were to break things down and look at it from the escape and evasion perspective and the use of water for, the use of fire for, the use of wood for, the that kind of thing, right? So, hmm. but both of these together is part of the strategic training, the tactical training, okay? And understanding that there's a natural progression as we gather the things that we need, right, based on the planning stage. So the planning, laying out the blueprints, drawing the the map of the battlefield and and figuring out, you know, what you have and, you know, what you need and all that kind of stuff, right, all that planning is metal, okay? And then as you gather your supplies, you gather your troops, people are being trained and you're prepping, that's the water stage. And then as you begin your assault or as the fight starts and he initiates that first punch or he starts moving in the position and all that kind of stuff, right? And then, so that's all the pooling stage. And then the punch starts coming in, right? And the aggression starts, the grab or the kick or whatever. That initial first stage assault, that's wood, okay? Um, and then, uh, you know, as the fight's just full on, right, uh, that's fire. But then these combatants start to tire out. Right, so everything starts to slow down. That's Earth, and then after the fight's over, people back off and figure out what they did right, what they didn't do right, whatever. Or you're burying your dead. Either way, right? That's metal stage again, mm. and it's just it's just this cycle, right? 
So the two together, the progressive cycle and then how to, how to stop him from getting to the next one or how to nurture and, and know where I'm going so I can get to the next stage and know what's the next logical thing, all that's part of that, right? Well, this is the part of the, the, this is the, part of the, the Goku Dai, the mind, okay? So if you could take that stupa of the Godai, right, because the top part that represents void looks like a teardrop or a drop of water coming down, right? It's just this thing, right? And then mm-hmm. if you took the, the Gogyo five elements and laid it horizontally so that you'd have this progressive thing going around, you know, like a, like a circle, right, a pentagram, but it's laying horizontally, right? So the stupa stands vertically, the Gogyo lays horizontally, and then you center that gogyo right on top of that little point, on top of that little void element, right? Mm. Almost like a helicopter blade, okay? Mm. That's how those two go together, okay? And, it, it, again, I'm just – I'm not even scratching the surface. But the, these things go together, and it's not one or the other. And it's not that you have to study these two systems, right? I think they make a great expedient to help people learn things faster, but they help you catalog things, categorize things, and get things, you know, in your head so that the training is not all just out there and intuitive and you'll figure it out. It's a way to help you classify and categorize things, just like I'm sure most of us either have binders or uh, uh, file cabinets. I have both, right, or whatever as a way to, to keep all your stuff in order so that you know how to find it when you need it. Uh, it you know, it's just it's one of those things. So. Uh, is it necessary? No. Is it helpful? Yes. Do you need to know it? I don't know. Help me, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but either way, I, that's just, you know, so uh, it's just another system um, to bring these things uh, together and to make them easier to understand. So one represents the way energy manifests. The other one represents the way energy interacts to produce growth or interacts to uh to destroy things or to stop growth. So the white belt to first-degree black belt training in my dojo is wrapped around the Godai training, and for first-degree and above, that's wrapped around the Gogyo training. How about that? Sure. Uh-oh. Sorry, I'm writing. Oh, there you I'm are. writing. Okay. You're writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was, I was writing notes down as well. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, so, yeah, so there's that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's that, right? Where are we yeah, that's good information. I had a question that came in from – I'm sorry? <laughs> I said that's good information. You know, it's, it's oh. a lot of knowledge that uh, – Yeah, but not everybody, not everybody does that stuff. And I've made, I have the fortune or misfortune to have begun in this art around 1980 um, before things changed. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, now remember, and th- this is going to make a lot of people jump off the show, I'm only the equivalent of a 13th Don, and I really hate using those frickin' numbers, right? Because mm-hmm. in the Japanese system, there's no such thing as anything after 10, right? When, right. when Hatsumi said they put all this stuff together, it was Judon, and then it was mm-hmm. Judon Chi Menkyo, yep. Judon Si Menkyo, that kind of thing, right? So, um, uh, I'm not a Jusan Don, right? That makes everybody else in the martial arts world, that makes their ears perk up and makes us look like jack wagons. 
But why do sensei use those numbers? And why do the master teachers use those numbers? Because all the frickin' Westerners are using them, and instead of fighting the, the thing, they just toss it out there because it's what you're going to understand. So yeah, it's just, it's just an expedient. It's an expedient, absolutely. Just be careful that when you step outside of the, the art and you're communicating in general or with people that are not in this art, it's really going to throw them off, right? So, and again, there's part of that, uh, not escape and evasion necessarily, but that um, uh, that blending in, right? And uh, disguise and impersonation, right? Uh, learn to communicate with other people based on their listen. Learn to speak their listen. That goes that goes with body language. That goes with uh, tonal inflection. If you can muster it and you've learned this stuff, that's the use of satyr types and all kinds of things, right? So um, you want to establish rapport and get people to uh, like you and bond with you and trust you as quickly as possible. And, uh, you know, especially if you're an instructor, right? You want to make sure that you're, you're doing good in the world. Um, but, of course, the opposite is also true. Learn how to push people's buttons so they want to stay as far away from you as possible if you don't want that person in your world. But don't confuse the two. And that's the problem. Most people don't have a handle on this, so they attract people in their lives that they don't want to be around, and they are constantly chasing after and pushing people away that they really want to be around because they don't get how this works. So, And I think that this topic that you brought in, even though we talked about insects and animals and, and all these other things, has a lot to do with this because... You can't work your will, and here's, this is straight out of a scroll. You can't, quote, unquote, work your will without action or work your will without the enemy's knowledge unless you understand how things work and understand it to a point where even if they know you're doing it, they can't defend against it because you're working with nature. You're not trying to trick them, even if you're trying to yep. trick them. <laughs> you can't, you know, it's kind of like con men, right? They can't con honest people, right? Con men play on greed. They just figure mm -hmm. out what what your what your uh, desire is, right? And they play that, right? So, you know, if you have these weaknesses or you have these desires, we talk about those in the psychological things too, and those things are broken down into, into the five elements. Right? If you know what they are, and that's why one of my teachers a long time ago said, once you really understand this stuff, there is no one and nothing you can't have. So what keeps you from misusing it? The morals and ethics that come at the head of the training, the Seishin Teki. Absolutely. So uh, is it easy to, to misuse this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it happens all the time, doesn't it? happens all the time. Okay? People would even say that I'm misusing it. You know? <laughs> you have a commercial school. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> but if I were really doing it all for the money, there would be a hybrid thing in here just like there is in a lot of people's stuff when I see videos. Right? They're doing Ichimonji, but they're bouncing around like they're in Taekwondo or whatever. Because, you know, it, it mm. looks like it. But we had to modify it because you can't use this against that kind of fighter because it doesn't work. Well, then may I suggest that you need to go back to school and learn how it works so that you stop 
screwing around with something that actually works, or that you use the art in the context that will match that attacker and not just whatever you want to do because that's your favorite. But, hey, that's just my well, take on things, and it's my podcast, so screw off. No. <laughs> <laughs> not you, Paul. You don't go anywhere. Anyway. It's kind of like uh, what my instructor always says, uh, you don't want to go into heat show if somebody's bum-rushing you. <laughs> That's right. Unless you can shift your angle and lift that knee up into their face if they're doing that. Right? So it works really well against shoot fighters. You just need to change your angle as they're coming in. So, mm, um, exactly. Yeah. So it's all good. Anyway, uh, Josh had a question about the Shidoshi title that oh. I'm just going to throw out there very, very quickly uh, <laughs> where it came from and all that. And Josh, as far as I know, Hatsumi said they made it up uh, a bunch of years ago. Um, <laughs> to coincide with the fifth Don thing. And what I mean is he, he coined the phrase. I mean, people coin phrases yeah. all the time, right? And so uh, while there are – it depends on the kanji that you look at. I looked this up a long time ago because I wanted to know, okay? And um, based on my research, while doshi actually comes from uh, – it shows up in Hindu as well, but doshi um, – uh, can mean comrade and friend, and there's, there's all these things for it, right? Uh, the one definition I found for it was uh, teacher. And then the she part, what is that? Well, <laughs> she, the kanji, is, can it also be pronounced she as well, right? Uh, also means teacher, right? So uh, based on conversations I've had with other people and based on my look at the, at the, at the uh, kanji and, um, uh, and the definitions that I found, uh, what I came to the conclusion of now, and I'll, I'll go back and tell you what added to this as well, but um, that it's a teacher of teachers, okay? Because the term shidoshi was produced when in the Bujinkan the highest rank was fifth degree black belt, and at fifth degree hmm. black belt, a godan was seen to kind of have not graduated the program because there's always more training, obviously, right? Uh, but back then, right? Uh, the, the Shidoshi then had the ability and authorization to set up their own training system, okay? They didn't have to use the training system from Japan or whatever. Your job was to translate this stuff so that people in your part of the world uh, could learn quickly to get to a point where they could understand Hatsumi Sensei's lessons. That hasn't worked very well. But anyway, um, that, was, um, that was the plan, okay? So if if that's their job, then their job is to teach future teachers, okay? And also, a Shidoshi's job is to oversee the Shidoshi Ho, the vice teachers, so that they themselves understand the rules and, and how things work so that they can become properly functioning Shidoshi as well, all right? So, and that's where our licenses come from, okay? So often, you know, and even Eric does it because he's a half. Um, so he uses the term <laughs> Shihan in my direction, and, you know, it's fine. It just makes me feel weird, right? Um, because Shihan generally translated in the Japanese language comes out as master teacher. But if you look at the kanji <laughs> that make up the, the term Shihan, you're looking at kanji that mean role model, okay? So Shihan is an honorific, just like the word san or sama, right? San can mean Mr., Mrs., Miss whatever, and sama means lord or lady, okay, generally speaking. And while the Japanese add san or sama or whatever to the end of every name, they don't do it at home. 
and they rarely do it with their friends, okay, because that's a part of you, right, and you never identify yourself. I would never tell anybody my name is Mira-san, okay? You just don't do it, right? I know in English, because san means mister, that I should say Mira-san. No, my name is Mira. Somebody else talking about me or addressing me would say Mira-san, okay? The same thing with Shihan. Shihan is an honorific when somebody else is talking about you and identifying you as somebody worthy of following because you're a role model. But you would never call yourself a Shihan. But see, that's gotten lost on the Western thinking as well because in Japan, right, supposedly from eighth down and above, you're a Shihan. And, well, who said so? Okay? It just became like, I don't know, what, kind of a recognized thing? No, Westerners picked up on the fact that Hatsumi Sensei kept calling Manaka-san when he was in the Bujikan, Shihan, when he called everybody else a Shidoshi, or just called them by their name. And people asked, what's that all about? Well, they were told that it means this thing, and at that point, Manaka Sensei was 8th, ninth Don, something like that. So the assumption was made that, see where this goes? Mm-hmm. A little bit of knowledge can just make you walk right off the freaking cliff. Okay? <laughs> so... Uh, but, I mean, if we, if we did it in English and I walked up and said, oh, hi, Paul, um, I'm Role Model Miller. How are you? Right? I mean, that, that's pretty freaking arrogant, right? So, uh, but I've, always, I've already talked to other people, too, and I'm trying to give them this little lesson, and they go, I'm not giving that up. I earned that. Seriously? Okay? Wow. Off the mandala, the true sign of a leader is other people have identified you as a leader. You didn't self-appoint yourself as a leader. The enlightened leader is always appointed by the followers. And I don't mean in a voting system. I mean they just naturally gravitate toward that person and seek out their advice or help. An enlightened leader never appoints themselves. They may accept the position or resign themselves to the position or whatever, but or take the lead because they were going to – they don't trust following anybody else in the group. Um, they're going to they're – some, this has to be done, so I'm going to do it kind of thing, right? But they didn't appoint themselves as the leader. They decided to act, and other people chose to follow. So it's very, very different. It's kind of like self-sacrifice and all that. You don't do it because it's expected of you. You do it because it's your, it's your nature, okay? So that's just the opposite, okay? Anytime it's done as an obligation or a duty or whatever or an, an enforced rule or whatever, it's, that's not from an enlightened standpoint. So anyway, we just jumped around here a whole lot, but uh, Josh, the best I have for you at the moment was it was a phrase that was coined for this point in the training, and that's all the teachers in the Bujinkan have a Shidoshi or Shidoshi Ho license, vice teacher or teacher license, um, positioning them and allowing them to do these things. There are no Shihan licenses or anything like that. It's an honorific, okay? So, but uh, where it came from was during a time when fifth on was as high as you could go in this art. And then he ended up with a bunch of fifth ons, and then the week he, then the tenth on was the highest rank you could go to. And then he ended up with a bunch of tenth ons, and he created the Chisuka Fuku, there it is again, right? Mastery of the element levels, full, supposedly full transmission. And now they're making, and I just saw this last year because I don't, I don't, stick with these politics and titles don't mean anything to me. Um, but now there are like Dai Shihan, there are Dai Shidoshi, 
there are, I don't know, a bunch of other names, too. Um, don't know. Barely care. So, anyway, I know how that makes me sound like a, a blasphemer, but uh, here I am. So, hopefully that uh, helped with Josh's question. Hopefully that helped with anybody else's questions. Uh, Paul, anything else you want to throw at this fire before we wrap this up for the day? And don't just uh, say no. thank you. Cause <laughs> <laughs> no, not that I can think of offhand. Um, I certainly appreciate all the insights and the information that has been given. Um, it just helps me to start looking at some of these more obscure areas of this style of training, you know, these things that aren't often covered. Try to look at them from different perspectives and uh, get the, the squirrel cage going um, to try to understand how they might be utilized. And look at them, look at those obscure things until, at least to you, they're as commonplace and everyday as anything else that goes on in your life right now. Sure, sure. Okay. All right. So um, Steve is gone. There's a couple other guys that jumped off or whatever. Uh, what time is it? Oh, we're going to get booted here. So, uh, yeah. Eric, what else do you have to throw on the fire before we wrap this up? Well, just really kind of a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, you know, again, uh, reiterating, reiterating, we're all having kinds of trouble today. Uh, getting the, uh, <laughs> getting the, the podcast now linked up with iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and a bunch more that are coming through. So that, that's really exciting and, and just makes it more accessible for, for everybody and, uh, allow, uh, will allow more people to just kind of come to the program and, um, keep feeding questions in. So, uh, if you oh. are one of those people who have discovered it, then cool. Make sure you uh, you check out. You can join in with this live. Go to the Kuden Facebook page, and you can see how you can be on with us live. Ask your questions that way. But also, there was this really cool contest thing that I know you were working on, oh. sir. That uh, is that yeah, is that we whipped this thing up. Absolutely, yeah. we have uh, put together a contest. Right, I am giving away some of my programs. Okay. Uh, this time around, uh, there is the Danger Prevention Tactics uh, DVD, which is actually a digital download for you. Uh, the uh, Ninja no Hachimon mini course, uh, which is uh, an abridged version of our full, I think it's a 10-week course or whatever, uh, but it's a quick uh, basic start kind of thing into these uh, eight uh, levels of training. Uh, the Kubutan uh, Keychain Manual, uh, those are the, the kind of the, the starter things, right? Uh, but then I thought, you know, what can I really do to jazz this up? I mean, this is our 50th, right? So the contest was a cool idea. But um, how about if I throw in a ticket to uh, either the spring or fall ninja training camp for this year? Your choice. Whoa. Come on. Wow. Ninja. I'm not, put, I'm not putting you up on a hotel. I'm not putting you up on a hotel or anything like that. But uh, the full fare on on the uh, uh, ninja training camp uh, is 250 bucks, right? Not counting any yeah. discounts or whatever, right? So um, come on, you can, you know, attend as my guest, uh, which usually means as my extra pinata, um, because that's how you say uh, training partner in Japanese, right, pinata. Uh, anyway, <laughs> no, but that, that joke always falls on deaf ears. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, so uh, here's what you're going to do, right? There is a contest page set up, right? And as I'm watching the ticker, because there is a ticker, a countdown timer on this page, this contest ends in. Right now it says six days, eight hours, 11 minutes, and 43 seconds. Okay? Keep it running the seconds, right? When that thing hits zero, you won't be able to sign up for anything. And anybody that's entered up to that point, 
will be entered in to do this, right? And what I'll be giving away, and I'll announce it next Friday uh, during that show, unless we don't have a show next Friday, but, but we should, right? So uh, I'm going to give away four. There'll be four winners. Uh, each person will get each of those four. Well, there's ten winners total. But there will be four people who win a copy of the Danger Prevention Tactics video. Four will win a copy of the Kubotain Kubaton keychain manual. Think Yawara stick or Edicopo stick when you think of Kubaton keychain. Okay. Uh, one person will win the Ninja no Hachimon basic course. And the grand prize, and I'm, I'm going to give those nine things away because nine is a good ninja number. I'm going to give those away first, and those people's names will go back into the bin with everybody who didn't get anything at that point, right? And everybody gets a chance for the grand prize, which is the Ninja Camp ticket, okay? So we're going to be giving away one of those, right? That'll be really cool. And Eric designed a T-shirt. Uh, so when we have that finalized with the company that's going to be producing it and, please, and handling the orders and shipping and all that kind of stuff, we'll be posting that because he made sure that it says available on iTunes and all that. And it has cool kanji and our, our ninja guy with the headphones on, you know, because it's a podcast and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway. So here's, here's the thing you need to do between now and uh, six days, eight hours, ten minutes, and nine seconds from now, right? <laughs> um, you're going to – and, and you can, you can uh, do several things to, uh, to get other entries. Like if you share to Facebook, if you share to Twitter, if you share to Google+, each one of those things gets you another entry on top of just doing it by email, all right? Um, so everybody has the opportunity of, of, of uh, getting four entries in, all right? So you're going to go to here's the email address and I'll I'll make sure that that gets uh, sent out to everybody as well. It's https make sure the s is in there colon forward slash forward slash warrior dash concepts dot l pages that's l p a g e s dot c o forward slash kuden dash contest dash entry forward slash and that's it you're going to land on this page we'll make sure you get a link. Uh, well, I'll add a link to the um, to the uh, podcast page for the yeah, people that are, that are looking on online and all that. Okay. Otherwise, you're going to have – yeah, we'll do it on Facebook as well. So you can click over to this thing, but share this stuff around, get your, get your entries in and all that. And I think we're going to do this on a regular basis. Uh, there's going to be another one that we'll be doing here in, in, uh, sometime down the road here shortly. Uh, that will be a video contest, okay, and uh, we're going to play around with that kind of stuff as well. But either way, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash, I don't know what that is, warrior-concepts.lpages.co forward slash kuden-contest-entry. All right, that was as short as I could get. All right, so that's it. All right, so we're doing a contest. Win something, right? Stay engaged. Uh, tell all your friends. Let people know. So for those of you who have been asking about uh, where can I go and, and check out past episodes and all that, every podcast thing we're setting up, iTunes, Google Play and all that, you go there, you can subscribe, you can listen to them all, okay? So uh, right now uh, we only have like five or six episodes. We're, we're going backwards in time. Uh, so here in probably by the end of next week we'll have all uh, 50, 51 episodes, something like that. <laughs> uh, so uh, it'll be good. It'll be good. So, uh, so jump cool. in, have some fun with it. Uh, when the T-shirts are available, grab a T-shirt, man. We're also talking yeah. about uh, hats. Eric's looking at socks. Um, I, I think if he goes with socks, he ought to do jock straps too. But um, that's that's my thinking. Maybe hey, yeah, support look, the show that supports you. you. Carry your lunch to work and 
you know, you can you can be your little ninja lunch. Anyway, sorry, I'm just saying it. Kuden is very supportive. Get your Kuden job. That's right. Kuden is very supportive. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right, Paul, thank you very much for being a part of yeah, the show today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And, well, thank you guys uh, Karen, for letting me let... jump aboard. I'm awesome. sorry. Yeah, no, we're we're coming right up uh, oh, yeah. against the end of time, so uh, yeah, they're gonna boot this us one off went here. a little long, <laughs> but uh, thank you everybody for being here and being a part of 50 episodes. So cool, so cool. 50. So we'll be back uh, at it again because you know it's just a number. We will keep going. It's, we'll it's what we do. That's what we do. All right. Uh, till next time, everybody. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to Kuden the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com. 